This episode of the Fastest Known Podcast is presented by Onyx Backcountry. We're here celebrating Great Outdoors Month with Onyx Backcountry and Leave No Trace. For the month of June, you can get a year of access to Onyx Backcountry's offline GPS mapping app, which is an essential tool for research and planning your next FKT. For just $10, they'll donate the net proceeds to Leave No Trace. Learn more at onyxmaps.com slash greatoutdoors. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Fastest Known Podcast. I'm your co-host, Hillary Allen, and today is a special episode. Um, I'm joined by Jason Hardrath. Hi, Jason. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty excellent. Just built a bunch of Strider bikes for my kindergartners and first graders today, and I get to reveal them to them next week. So I, I, I had a pretty great day. Oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, and... Um, I'm so excited to talk to you because, I mean, maybe listeners, this is the first time I'm talking to you on the podcast, but I'm sure listeners have, they know who you are, at least I hope so. Um, And this is a special edition because you are the king of FKTs. Um, (laughs) That is what other people have called me that that I have. Yeah, I've never (laughs) self-described that way. I, I just love chasing these things. But yes, I I have heard that a few times before now. <laughs> yeah. And so, well, I mean, I'll just dub you that. Um, <laughs> but so this episode, I wanted to kind of, this is, this is a special project that you're undertaking. So, um, I mean, if anyone pays attention to Fastest Known Times, you have racked up quite a few. Um, as of now, your grand total is 98. And um, you're going for, you're going for 100, right? That is that has been the the journey for a while now. Yeah, it's it's been it's been in the works for over what two going on three years now. Um, yeah. Okay. So I mean, if we want to do the math on that, two going on three years. I mean, that's at least thirty per year. I had a pretty wild twenty twenty. I did sixty FKTs in twenty twenty. Um, That's what I was going to say. I think you slowed maybe down a little bit in 2021. You're on quite a roll in 2020. And so let's let's kind of go into a few. I wanted, I mean, of course, there's a laundry list of, of FKTs that you have, but I wanted to go into kind of your, first of all, what you started this project. I mean, you had FKTs, you had a lot of FKTs even before the pandemic. So I'm assuming this project was maybe accelerated or at least your motivation was maybe accelerated by the fact that we didn't have races and, you know, there's a pandemic and you kind of had to get creative on your own. But I'm curious as to what, um, you know, what started this whole idea and you have to be extremely motivated to, to do this number of FKTs. So kind of tell us about, yeah, what started that? So, I mean, for a long time, I've been a pretty dedicated, driven person to athletic pursuits, to physical challenges, um, sort of those test pieces where you you think you can do a thing. I've been very drawn, very drawn to those types of activities. And I guess how I ended up doing this was I've told my story about going out a car window in a car accident. And that put I was really into Ironman prior to that. And suddenly my ability to run, um, my ability to, to really bike well, like I used to, was kind of put on hold. And I took up mountaineering and rock climbing um, in the interim and built skills in those because I couldn't really run, but I could hike up and down hills. 
And so it's like, well, hills led to mountains, mountains led to bigger mountains. Pretty soon I needed to get up technical mountains. Um, I just don't sit still well. And so I, when the running came back um, around 2016, 2017, I started just like running between these mountains. I was already learning to climb and then discovered FKTs. It's like, oh, that's kind of what I'm already doing. I'm like connecting classic routes on, on various mountains and, and classic rock climbs and running in between them. That, that is an FKT. So it just became a pursuit to go down that path. And then I just had this realization. I've always been, I'm, I'm not a star studded elite athlete. I have a really resilient body. It, it tends to take a lot of abuse and I just wake up the next day and it's like, Oh, I hurt, but I'm not injured. Um, and so it's like, well, you know, it'd be really cool since I love being out in the mountains anyways. What if I just go do a hundred of these things? That'll be a hundred different wild, bizarre memories that I will get to have at the end of this project. And that became sort of the driving force and, and this sort of this process of growing as an athlete as well. Like I knew because other people do FKTs too. I don't get to do them only myself. The times are going to get faster as I do this. Um, like the game gets harder to play as you play it. Um, so I was going to have to improve my creativity. I was going to have to grow as an athlete. I might have to take on some new skills, take on some bigger challenges than I expected in order to complete this sort of journey to 100 FKTs. And that totally happened. I, I for you know, one simple example is uh, I put together a few slot Canyon um, FKT routes. I wasn't even a canyoneer before <laughs> getting into FKTs and then sort of discovered it through, I forget, there may have been like one existing one. And I was like, oh, that's a cool idea. And then I was like, well, what else is out there? And are there more like more technical versions that still aren't too technical that it would put people in danger? Um, so kind of that happy medium. And one of them I put together, uh, the Ding and Dang Canyon Loop, uh, Max King and his buddy Preston just went and smashed and had a hell of a time. And it was great. Like they, they described it exactly how I hoped, you know, another athlete would describe the experience. Like it's like an obstacle course race out there in nature <laughs> in this beautiful, beautiful rock around you. And it's like, that was everything I was hoping for with like going out and doing that route myself and putting it out for other people. So like there's layers of why, why I went about doing it. Some of them were very personal, like the Rainier infinity loop. That was like a big experiment for me. It was the furthest I'd ever gone. It was the far, like the most, you know, nights of sleep deprivation I'd ever gone. Um, pushing through technical terrain. And then there are others where it's like, oh, other people are going to love this sprint through this canyon or this, you know, technical climbing route or um, whatever it may be. So it's like kind of a layered, a layered experience in there. Um, but yeah, it's been a wild, wild journey. And I love this because, I mean, just looking over the amount of FKTs that you have, there's a huge variation. You know, there's some that are less than a less than an hour. And then there's some that are just, you know, like the infinity loop, like that's insane. <laughs> um, and, you know, longer, longer things and, you know, kind of multi-sport combination. And um, yeah, I think that that's awesome. Cause that was my, that was my question is like, have you, you mean, you've had to get creative and kind of create your own um, rather than just like repeat known FKTs. And is that also where the fun of it is, is like you just mentioned, it's just kind of creativity and, I, that's one of my favorite things about FKTs is that it's not necessarily uh, a trail. It's like a make your own adventure kind of thing. 
Exactly. And I mean, I was the kid who struggled to fall in line, right? Like if you put me in situations where compliance is how you succeed, I tend to not do well. I'm a, I'm a, I like to say I'm a very poor employee. I'm a great teacher. So like I can connect with kids. I can be like in the moment, like have teachable moments with kids. Like when I see things going on in my classroom, create great lessons, even just like, like complete off the hip, like change a lesson in the moment because of what I see going on with kids. Like I'm great in that bad at showing up to meetings on time, horrible at responding to emails. Like, like I'm not good at compliance things. So Mm -hmm. stepping into the FKT world, like I have this knack for creativity. I have this knack for taking on like big projects and hyper-focusing on them without even noticing how much effort I'm pouring Mm -hmm. into them. And then seeing that through to the end and, and actualizing like a finished product at the end and then getting to leave that behind for someone else to come along and go, that's cool. I want to try it. And I mean, I have to ask though, I mean, this does require uh, an immense amount of dedication. Like how do you find time to do it all? Um, I mean, I already like, if you think about what, what the life of training for an Ironman is like, like I already had learned to it's like wake up early, put in the training hours on the bike. Like I, I used to be known as the crazy PE teacher who who biked out to Bonanza. Bonanza is the tiny community I teach in. That's about twenty five miles out in the middle of nowhere, um, <laughs> on these like back highways. And so I'd bike all the way out the twenty five miles in the morning. You know, play and work out with my kids during the day. Bike all the way back and then catch the running club for a run afterwards. Like I found ways to just sort of integrate it into right. my life. Um, and so because of that background of sort of like building around this like constant movement sort of lifestyle, it was pretty easy to transition into, well, okay, just change what it is I'm doing. Now it's, I'm doing more rock climbing training. I'm doing more weights training. I'm doing more running training instead of being on the bike. Um, It made it pretty easy to fall into a lifestyle that physically makes this possible. And then I think the, you know, the mindset I've built over time chasing my passions where I've just sort of realized that even, even when you're feeling as low as you can possibly feel while pursuing something you dream of, like that feeling is still richer and fuller Mm -hmm. than to just feel nothing, like just to feel comfortable. And so to me, like that, that sort of paradigm shift of like bad is better than nothing, um, not worse is it makes it easy to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to jump out there. And even if stuff starts to go sideways and I'm like hobbling along, it's like still no place I'd rather be. Like, this is great. Like I'm, I'm out in the mountains. I'm out in this space doing the thing I hope to do. Um, so it makes it pretty easy to be willing to just like drive hard the moment I get off work, sleep a little, go hard for like 15 hours after 15 hours of driving and then get back in the car and drive all the way back home and show up at work on Monday with a cool story to share with my students. Um, it's, and I, and actually that's probably worth mentioning too. I think, I do think that my teaching adds to my athleticism in a way, because I think yeah. some athletes have talked about how you do some great athletic undertaking and you arrive back at your regular life and it feels hollow and empty. Like how do you have a conversation with your coworkers about what you just did? Oh, how was your weekend? Um, and it's just tough to reintegrate with regular life. With me, it's like, 
I come back and I am a better, more enthusiastic teacher. And I can more authentically say, Hey kids, go believe in your dreams. Go, go. It's going to be hard. Yeah. It's going to be difficult, but go do it. Cause I'm just some kid from some small town too. Um, <laughs> it, it makes, it makes it authentic when I say those words, because I'm going and doing it. Like I've been a kid that the way I found an identity in the world was through physical movement at a young age. And now I'm further actualizing that as an adult. So I don't know. It, it makes it, it makes it easy to find the time, I guess, because there's nothing I'd rather be doing. I love that. And I love how you describe that because I too, I mean, I am also a teacher and I feel like I've always had the balance between an academic life and science and running and athleticism. And it's never been a choice for me to choose either or it's always been an and type of situation. And I feel like they, you put it beautifully, they, you know, it adds to one another. Um, And I think this is so cool as being able to share that with your students. Um, (laughs) These are a series of questions actually that I wanted to ask you is kind of, uh, you know, it's hard to choose out of definitely a hundred FKTs, but you're, you're 98 so far. Um, So maybe we'll, you know, we'll interview you after these and see if, you know, your answers have changed, but what, are there some extra memorable ones that you have? Like, either a worst experience or kind of a best experience. I know each FKT probably has its own, right? You know, mini highs and extreme lows. Um, But are there any that stand out to you from those that you've completed thus far? I mean, I've talked a lot about the the Rainier Infinity Loop. And I think on a a personal level, that, that, that was, it altered me. Like I came out Mm -hmm. the other end of that a different person than when I went in. Um, it was so big and so difficult and so involved and, and needing to have the confidence in myself to like make life or death decisions after having already climbed over the mountain once and then half circumnavigated it Mm -hmm. and then doing it again, solo self-supported, um, that, you know, there was no one else even in the area. Like I was there as, as far as anyone was concerned, like, sure. I could have called, like pushed the button on you know my spot and had search and rescue come find me. But as far as anyone there for any form of emotional support, like I was out there alone. Um, and to, to go through that process and make those moves and they'd, and I've told this part of the story too, they'd actually like stopped guiding the Emmons side of the mountain for that year, which I didn't know when I went into it. So I had to, find my own path down through the crevasses um, on that side of the mountain. It wasn't like a flagged boot tracked easy um, thing. And after enduring that twice, then also doing that push through the second night and having the realization that's like, okay, if I want to be sure I have a crack at breaking this record, I need to like do away with any thought of stopping to sleep. Like I'm just pushing all night and I've never pushed through a second night at this point in my athletic career. Um, mm-hmm. And just embracing that, like while already in a state of suffering and like legs are tied up and just hobbling along, it's like, let's just go. Um, mm-hmm. And so that one was huge. That was a huge transformative experience for me um, and kind of set the stage for what I was willing to do in future efforts. And mm-hmm. so like, I would say on a personal level, that one still stands, stands pretty huge. I think, before that, chasing uh, Buzz and Peter's uh, Cascade Trifecta was phenomenal. Um, that was actually ten, 10 days before the Rainier Infinity Loop. It was it was literally because I I did so well on the DC route 
um, on Rainier during that effort that I'm like, oh, damn, I have to do the infinity loop. It was just like the, like, like a brick fell out of the sky. Like I'd looked at it and been like, oh man, that looks hard. Like maybe, I don't know. And then when I did that, it was like, oh, like this is the, this is the goal that scares me. Um, but accomplishing that and doing it self-supported and driving myself between the peaks, that was a pretty cool, a pretty cool experience. Um, then I guess on like a, an interaction with a community level, mm-hmm. it's been really cool to have interactions with sort of the Red Rocks running community out of Vegas and the routes I put up in the Red Rocks area that are run plus scrambles on some of those cool, easy, moderate routes and especially the Rainbow Mountain route, which is just a, an awesome route up Rainbow Direct. And mm-hmm. like at first it was, it was really cool because like I came in and I'm this outsider, right? And this mm-hmm. is their community, their, their sacred space. And so at first there was some animosity toward me. Like you just come in and you put up these routes and you, you, you know, put up these times and da da da. And like, they, they didn't like it. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I mean, I understand that. Like I can see how that is, but I did, I did my due dil- diligence to make sure I wasn't like posting a false fastest known time. Like I, I, I got connected with some of their members and like, Hey, what's the best time anybody's done on this? Have you ever heard of someone doing this for speed before? And there wasn't much of a speed culture, Um, but still there was some animosity, but then like coming back multiple times and doing different efforts there. And then finally I came back and I redid rainbow mountain, taking it from one of their local legends, uh, Chris Gorney, and was the first one to like nudge it under two hours for that, that run Mm -hmm. plus scramble, which it is just a beautiful route. And I, I highly recommend it for anyone who's got a good head for exposure and (laughs) enjoys, enjoys complicated, route finding experiences um it's <laughs> phenomenal and say not not me i don't like exposure <laughs> anymore no <laughs> no yeah understandable totally understandable um but yeah no so it like flipped it it flipped the whole thing upside down where suddenly because i i came back and i took the time to intimately come to know one of their favorite routes and to do something on it they weren't sure could be done suddenly it's just like, they were super stoked. Like, oh man, like this totally changed our opinion. Like, da da da. this is so cool that you did this. And then sure enough, like one of their local people came out and rehearsed it like two weeks straight and beat me back. And <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. That whole interaction, that back and forth with it, with a community there. Um, and to see that energy take off for something that like hadn't really been there much before. Like they were casually going up and down that route, but nobody was like really pushing it. Um, and so it was fun to be a part of that. Like I, I consider myself a small part of it, but like to be a part of something that like changed the trajectory of, in the interests of a community. Um, that's one of my favorites on like a, on a community level. And I, I probably could go off on a few other tangents on, on different things, but I'll, I'll leave it at that for the, this, this interview. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, can we please have you on again after <laughs> you do these other FKTs? I could talk to you forever about this stuff. Um, but the the coolest part too, I mean, not only, I mean, I'm thinking about like the time management of all this, like you said, you know, going after teaching a week, then going 15 hours in the car to like go to this place. There's, I mean, the United States is huge. There's a lot of driving time that it takes to kind of go to these different places to actually do the FKTs. But I want to kind of go more to the the mental side of things. And 
this is, you know, more of a personal question just because I've been through something traumatic too, but you mentioned, you know, the whole, your whole car accident and, you know, what happened with these injuries and kind of changing your, the trajectory of your athletic career. Do you think that, I mean, as you described it to begin with, it seems like it opened more doors for you, but has this opened, a, you know, a metaphorical door to this idea of suffering and what it really means to be outside and have, you know, an extra motivation to do these things has, has was that a palpable change for you? Well, I mean, being human is really difficult. It's like layers upon layers upon layers. Right. Um, right. <laughs> I, I'm a person, I'm a person who loves to move and I already had a sense for some reason, as a young person, I was, I was the young person in say like my high school that was sort of like considered an old soul. Right. Uh, people would come to me and like, you know, be like, this is what's going on. What do you think? Um, and so from a young age, I had some sense of the finitude of life, like how finite and limited our lives really is, how short our time here really is. And, Mm -hmm. and that it's so easy. I, I noticed myself noticing like adults, who just fell into a life that didn't really make them happy. Um, and I remember that I remember noticing these things from a young age and being very driven toward um, like living as fully as I could. And, you know, and, you know, when you're a kid, like that's difficult. You, you can't do that. Well, it's just a stilted like effort to like <laughs> try to find something. And I, you know, I found running and I found sports and, and I pushed myself very well there. And like, it was an area I could thrive since I struggled in the school setting. You know, I was yeah. a great test taker, but a horrible like kid in the classroom as far as being able to sit still or get homework done. But then on test day, I could like pull it off. Um, so I think what happened when I went out that car window and like I should have died, statistically should have died, is it just reinforced all the more this kind of this sort of inner wisdom I had that at any moment, anything we think we have is gone in the snap of a finger. Like mm-hmm. you don't own anything. Like we describe ourselves, Oh, I'm an athlete. Well, that could be gone in the snap of a finger. Like what's deeper than that. And mm-hmm. I know I'm a driven person. I know I'm a person that I, the, the only way I care to see myself in the world is making a difference for other people doing something noteworthy and then doing something good because I've done something noteworthy and, and to sell myself short of that, like I know I'll be disappointed and that can take many forms, right? I speak vaguely for a reason and Mm -hmm. the, the expression I, I do well right now in this phase of life is using my physical body to do things. And so when I faced this setback and a, you know, a doctor literally said to me after the car accident, like, Oh yeah, you're just going to have to let that part of your life go. Um, that was like the first, he didn't stay my doctor long. Um, Cause like I went through that kind of like sorrowful moment. And then I was like, no, you don't, you don't know me. Like I'm going to find right. a way I'm going to like, there's no option. Like I don't like, I'm imagining, I'm sitting here and imagining a version of myself who doesn't do stuff active. And I don't like who that person is. So I'm going to find a way to go right. do something active. Um, I know the feeling weirdly, <laughs> you know, a doctor told me the same thing. <laughs> I figured you would resonate with that strongly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do. Also strongly with the feeling of wanting to punch a doctor in the face. Maybe you, you know, could relate. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, so I think that just reinforced this, like, okay, like if I find something that is the right 
fit for me. You know, just like, like, uh, I don't talk about it as much because most of these interviews are about the athletic things I do, but like right. teaching, teaching for me is a passion. It's something, it's a way I can, I can bother to do something that's worth a damn with my life. Like I can actually walk into a room and leave people better than before I walked into the room. Like mm-hmm. that, that is a tangible good. Um, and you know, I can build stuff with my hands somewhat too. And that's kind of cool, but it's not where my passion is. You know, I come from a family that are, you know, blue collar, like they build with their hands, they do things with their hands and, and that's great. But I I decided at a young age, like, I want to try to do stuff with my mind. I want to try to do things that are good for others with my mind. Um, and so teaching is that for me. And then, and that's where the, the integration, this is what I mean, where it's like difficult as human beings to like layer stuff correctly is mm-hmm. is to find a way to bring this huge passion that I have to push myself physically that could be totally like disintegrated from my teaching. It, like they could be totally separate, but to to bring the two to 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 work together so that they make one another more fulfilling. And, and that's become very important to me. And it's been really cool. So for example, I mentioned at the start of this, that I, I built a fleet of Strider bikes so that every kid for the rest of my teaching career who comes through my kindergarten and first grade will know how to ride a bike. Um, the reason, one of the reasons I was able to raise that money is that a whole bunch of other athletes who like just bother to pay attention to the stuff I do we're willing to like chip in, you know, 50 bucks or 250 bucks or whatever. Like they helped raise Mm -hmm. the money. So here's this small way that because I go chase things and I say, Hey, I think I can do this other bit of good in the world. Like now I'm making the lives of these kids better. And to me, that's incredibly fulfilling as well. Like, Oh, Hey, my running around in the mountains wasn't completely useless. You know, it wasn't selfish. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm bothering to turn it into something good in another way. Like, sure. And I don't, I don't think running around in the mountains useless. Like it, mm. it keeps me out of a state of depression and it inspires other people to believe what they can go do in the mountains. And then on top of that, I'm adding this other layer of like, oh, and I'm also going to channel it back to the kids um, who are, you know, spend time in a room with me and hopefully mm. end up with a better life because of me. Um so, so I guess that's a really long answer to your question, but yeah, when I went out that car window, it definitely intensified my belief that we're living a story with our lives and we're authoring that story and, and we better at least try to make it worth reading. Um. <laughs> I love that metaphor. I love it. And so, I mean, to go with this story, I mean, I love how FKTs, they tell a story and I mean, looking at your, you know, you've done all different types of variety and something that I love about FKTs as well is the style in which you can do them. And do you have a favorite style? With, so, and we're talking about unsupported, self-supported, or, you know, like, yeah, self-supported, unsupported, or supported, right? Do you have, do you have a favorite style of FKT? When I started, and you could, people who look through my list can see this, um, I was very drawn to unsupported, self-supported. Like, and I've, I've noticed that pattern as well. (laughs) Like didn't, didn't have money, didn't have friends, didn't have, um, (laughs) you know, like, like sponsors or whatever, like however you want to say it. Like, so it was just a matter of like me taking my little like geo Metro commuter car 
out Mm -hmm. to do the crazy thing with a tent and some like tailwind and some gear and some salami and going for it. Um, And so I was very drawn to that because that's, that's so empowering to just be like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not making, I'm not like making money from this. I'm, I'm spending money on this and I don't make much money as a teacher. So it's like, I have to do this in an efficient way, which really a huge amount of FKTs, unless you're going for like a, a true, like groomed trail FKT or a road FKT where like there aren't, there aren't many transitions in front of you. Um, and even still like transitions happen where you're like meeting your crew or whatever, efficiency is so paramount because unlike a race where like the aid stations are spaced out, you know, if you have a good race director, they're spaced out nearly perfectly for the effort. Mm. Um, unlike that, you're doing it all for yourself. So you have to choose efficiently and you know, the same with life, like the parallel, right? So I have to get to these FKTs and do these FKTs in a way that I can actually afford with my financial life. Um, and then I have to perform them in the same manner. Like I'm going to go out and I'm going to make the best decisions I can with the, with the gear I have. Um, I remember when I did the Rainier infinity loop, I'm like, Oh, like I don't have enough pairs of good shoes right now. So which blown out pairs of, sh- which blown out pair of shoes am I going to use? Cause you know, as I go over the mountain gear is going to get wet while I go through the snow and I'm like, okay, it's like, pick and choose like, all right, which lap should I take the shoes that have the built-in micro spikes that are kind of blown out. And then on the next lap, I can bring the crampons with the shoes that are in better conditions. And then, okay, then I can use my two good sets of shoes for the run around um, the, the wonderland trail, like, you know, making these decisions with limited gear, you know, it's not usually what you hear about. <laughs> um, and I love that. I love that. Cause it, it, to me, that means, that so many more people can go out and do these sorts of things. If I'm driving a geo Metro with a, you know, two, two half blown out pairs of shoes and two good pairs of shoes to go do an effort. Like that opens the doors for, for a lot more people who are like, Oh, well, I could never afford that. I can never. Hmm. And I think that's kind of cool. So I was very drawn to that as kind of a dirt bag entry level, like FK tier. And I still am, but I am going to, for this upcoming FKT uh, with the hundred peaks, I think there's, there's also an aesthetic choice and a experience choice with like choosing your um, style. And it just doesn't make sense to me to try to go spend 50 some days, not talking to anyone about like, well, what condition was that mountain in, in order to pull off a self-supported or unsupported style. Um, It makes way more sense to be like, no, 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 this is my hundredth FKT. Like I want to respect the mountaineering community and not take a lot of risks soloing in terrain. Um, the Bulgers community, they just lost one of their beloved young climbers um, to a, a fall in a crevasse. And it's like, I don't want to disrespect that. Like, Hey, I'm just going to show up and like crush this route. And I'm going to solo across the terrain that you lost him in. Um, and since I leaned on that community a lot, since I'm going to be on siding a lot of these mountains, there's no way you can go like pre-rehearse 100 different mountain routes um, when you're working a real job. So it's like, I had to lean into that community and it would feel disrespectful to turn around and be like, Oh yeah, now I'm going to go do the same thing that you lost this beloved person to. Um, 
I'm going to, which means I have to go supported, right? Like I, in order to do that, like, unless the person starts the entire effort with me and finishes with me, I'm supported. So it just makes more sense to make it a celebration so that whoever wants to join me on a peak or a link up or whoever wants to be at camp to share a beer or a meal, like all of that is now open for this whole like 50, 50 day extravaganza of begging these wildly hard to get to peaks in the state of Washington. Um, yes, and so it tell makes, us, tell yeah, go us ahead. exactly what, what it is that you're, that you're doing. Like so, the route itself. Uh, it's known as the Washington Bulgers list. It's a list of the hundred tallest peaks in the state of Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, it was done by Eric Gilbertson. He's one of the ones that actually has been hugely helpful in me figuring out this route. He was on the FKT of the year interviews for his crazy uh, Rocky I remember. Slam. I interviewed him and it was so impressive what he did. Wild what he did. And it's been so helpful to have his input to, to like go, okay, am I crazy or is this doable? Mm -hmm. And have him go, no, like when I run the numbers, like it looks doable. And he's like a really smart dude. So when he says that, it's like, yeah, he's, he's probably right. (laughs) Um, And so to have him in my corner and have some of the other members of that community in my corner for this Bulgers list. um, Yeah. It's, it's, it's the hundred tallest peaks. And the thing is, and Eric himself said this, he's like, yeah, so there's 20 more peaks in the Rocky mountain grand slam, but I would say the hundred peaks of the Bulgers are about 20% harder. Um, and that's because you don't just drive to a trailhead for a lot of them. It's you're going to bushwhack your way in for a day. And then you're going to like execute half of the peaks and then sleep somewhere in a bivy and then execute on the other half of the peaks and then you get yourself all the way back out of there on slow moving terrain. Like there's multiple right. situations where that's what I'm doing. Um, yeah, and if, and if, if you haven't done many, if the listeners haven't done many runs in the Pacific Northwest, like Washington has some of the most, I think, remote and extreme terrain out there. I think of all of the, I mean, maybe second to Alaska, like as far as remoteness, but I mean, and it's overgrown, it's really difficult terrain. It's a lot different than some of the walk-up peaks that we have in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, I, I would actually say the the mental crux for me mm going to be when I'm moving slow through the slide alder. Oh. It's just brutal to try to bushwhack through. Uh, they, yeah. it's, it's awful. Yep. And if there's bugs, like I'll hang, <laughs> I'll hang, I'll hang by my fingertips with my life in my hands any day of the week on, on easy, moderate terrain. But you, you put me around hornets or hordes of mosquitoes and I start to lose my cool. <laughs> Maybe you need me on your team. Cause I am an aspiring entomologist and I love bugs, all shapes and sizes, even wasps. And I can't appreciate mosquitoes. Wow. I am impressed. Maybe, maybe we need to have a conversation after this conversation where you like soothe me into being very comfortable. Like, wow, that's a cool mosquito that's biting me with all of his friends. You know, okay, great. I challenge accepted. Maybe this will be, you know, you can do your hundred FKT project and I can help you appreciate, you know, the, what to be appreciated about these small little insects. I literally have a book on um, wasps. So to how, how to appreciate them and how they're actually really cool creatures. Uh, but enough about that. <laughs> uh, but no, I think this is such a cool project. And I think, so this is, this will be your hundredth, right? 100 peaks for my 100th FKT. Yeah, I actually. number 99. 
99 um, was a little bit of a redemption because normally I do really good research on any trail route I do before I do it because I always assume someone's done it faster. And the McKenzie River Trail popped up, um, which is a beautiful trail in Oregon if, if people haven't done it. It goes past the famous Blue Pool. It goes past Sahaley Falls. A super beautiful trail. And I saw it pop up. I didn't submit it as a route. Someone else did. And I and I didn't see any one-way time on it. And I was like, that's really cool. And I did a little bit of poking around on Strava. Didn't find anything. And just went. Like, it was, like, all over the course of a few days. Well, lo and behold, I had to, like, I got my punishment for it. Uh, a few weeks later, a time that predated mine popped up. And I would be okay if, like, I was just doing one or two FKTs and didn't really care. Like, I wouldn't mind leaving it there. But since I decided I wanted to be on this journey for a hundred FKTs, I'm like, I don't want to claim an FKT for something I never actually had the fastest known time for. So I had Peter remove my time from the list mm. since there was a faster time that predated it. And anyways, come full circle, uh, as I was going to go project a future route that I'm going to turn into an FKT in Smith rock, um, a group of people who like showed up there that I knew were like, Hey, guess what? We're running the out and back on McKinsey river trail uh, hmm. tomorrow. So I was like, Oh, that would be really rad. I, I, that you'd give me that little bit of redemption. It's 50 miles. It'd be like a good training run three weeks out from starting the Bulgers. Yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll jump in. I'll join your group. Let's go. Um, so went out and did the McKinsey river trail out and back for, for 50 miles to kind of go back and get my name back on, um, an FKT that like I'd had, had to remove myself from. So it felt that, that felt kind of cool. It was a little bit redemptive. Um, not my style, not my style. It's a pretty buttery fast trail with just a few technical spots, but Mm -hmm. it's so beautiful and such an iconic trail of Oregon that it's like, okay, cool. Yeah. This was worth doing. This was worth doing. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This is awesome. And so I also love what you mentioned about like, this is going to be a celebration. I think it's really cool that because of the way that you're choosing to do it, like certain people from the community can come and join you for, you know, some random peaks if they can. (laughs) Um, And I think that's a really cool celebration that you said that you wanted to do. Um, And I guess I have to ask if, you know, you have your goal set on a hundred uh, is there a 200 in your future? <laughs> well, I'll say it this way when, and and I think calling the 100th FKT, even though it's harder and more brutal than anything I've done so far. Right. Like that sort of captures it. Right. When, when the thing you're doing is the celebration for the thing you're doing, then you're probably <laughs> pursuing the right stuff in life. And so people ask, have asked how I'm going to celebrate this hundred that finishing the hundredth. It's like, well, the hundredth is kind of a celebration. And probably the way I'll celebrate is that I'll go find a mountain to run up. Um, (laughs) or a hundred. And so, so yeah, probably, probably it's going to end up being a lot more than a hundred before I'm done. Um, I've got too many things left written down in my notebook to just be like, well, 100, I'm done. Gonna go (laughs) sit at a desk now. Yeah, totally. Exactly. I mean, yeah, that's, that I think is the beauty of it. And I hear this in kind of how you're describing it. It's just the process and there's, there's beauty in it. It's not necessarily in kind of the attainment or like the finishing of the checklist. It's like, 
It's how you dream about it. It's, you know, the process and the memories that it creates. Um, so, I mean, I'm invested. I'm along for the ride. And uh, <laughs> how about this? I hope that you celebrate it by talking to me again. <laughs> yeah. So this I can been great. About it. Um, but I, um, I mean, there's so many other questions that I have, but maybe just a, a few more uh, kind of to wrap things up. But do you have a favorite, um, do you have a favorite state that you like to, or a state that you, you know, that's kind of on your bucket list of, to kind of explore more FKTs? Oh man. I mean, there are so many endless possibilities here in the Pacific right? Northwest. Um, oh, I, I, know. I mean, I tend to be very drawn. I'm drawn to places because of the challenges they hold for me. So California has a few things that are still calling my name. Um, Oregon has a few things that are definitely still calling my name. And then, and then South America has a few things that are calling my name that it's like, those are things where if I don't at least go try, if I don't at least go try to do, do my thing and my style there, I'll be, I'll be a little disappointed when, when, when my bell is rung for the end of my life. Um, so so yeah, those those are the ones I I would say I would say right now I've got a couple things in Oregon, I've got a couple big things in California, and then I've got some stuff internationally um that I wasn't able to do. It was, it's been it was in the plan for 2020 and then 2020 right. did what 2020 did. Um <laughs> <laughs> we just won't yeah, the thing that will not be named. Um Exactly. So <laughs> yeah, at some point I've got to go I've got to go international again because I used to love traveling internationally. Um, and I miss it. I miss like having to figure stuff out logistics in foreign countries and then still going and doing your thing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what's in my future probably after number 100. I love it. And this can be, I think this is a perfect wrap up question just because you are a teacher and I feel like, you know, these experiences have taught you so much, but do you have, do you have any advice for just the general listener, maybe if you're talking to your students or someone who, you know, is aspiring to do their own tough FKT or, you know, their own series of projects, um, you know, or just overcoming some challenge in life, like what is your, what is your advice? So I think the biggest thing to overcoming is always identifying our own self-limiting beliefs that are sitting right in front of us. Like usually the objective is easier than it looks. It's the self-limiting beliefs you've put in front of the objective that make it so impossible. And and the, I'll rephrase that in a different way. I've had conversations with people. Now that I've done so many of these, people will reach out with an idea they have or a thing they want to do or one of my FKTs they want to break. And one of the things that sometimes comes up is, is this thing like, oh man, like I don't know how you did that. Like, that route's really difficult or this thing, or I don't know how to do that. Or, you know, it seems so complex. Well, the thing, the thing I bring up is like, yeah, if you go there on a trip, let's say Mount hood, for example, you go to Mount hood for a trip and, and you climb the Cooper spur, like you, because you're not sure you can climb it. Like that's not a wasted weekend. Like that's a phenomenal (laughs) human experience. Like people pay good money just to go have that one experience. And, and then you have to come back another weekend to do the Timberline Trail. And then you come back another weekend to make sure the south side is all dialed for you. And, and then you finally come back and put it all together to do an infinity loop on that mountain. Like you didn't waste 
all those days leading up, even if you aren't able to complete the infinity loop on that mountain, like you went and lived awesome, like objectives leading toward a bigger goal in your life. Like those aren't wasted weekends. Those are, you went and lived awesome experiences. And I think sometimes when we set a big goal or a hope for ourselves, we miscategorize this experiences leading up to it. It's really easy to think, oh, these are things I have to do. No, no, no. Those are probably things you want to do. And I've, I've seen this with people who like want to train for a marathon as well. Like as soon as they sign up for the marathon, it's like, I have to do this workout. No, no, no. You run because you've fallen in love with it for whatever reasons before you ever signed up for that first marathon. And that's still true, even though you've signed up for the marathon. And to me, being in touch with that, no, I want to, is one of the most powerful things you can do to keep moving toward however big or small the goal is. But if you slip into the have to mindset, then you're going to get frustrated or you're going to give up when you run into those setbacks. Um, so that would be my biggest advice is always remind yourself of your why, always remind yourself of your passion, always stay in touch with that explorative, playful, curious, like I want to run a grand experiment with my life and I want to see what's out there. And if you're staying in touch with that, and really I have to thank my kindergartners for reminding me of this, right? Um, I, I get to spend days and days and days in a room with them and they're just excitement. It's like, wait, that's, that's what I need to do. Um, Hmm. Like, I, I don't need to think I have to do stuff. It's like, just be excited for it because it's life. Um, I would say that's my biggest advice is to just, if even if you have to age regress yourself to how freaking excited you would be if five-year-old you was standing in the spot you were standing in doing the thing you're doing or five-year-old got you got to watch you now do what you're doing. Five-year-old you would be like, you're so awesome. Like, you know, be stoked on that. Like your inner child is going to be stoked on what you're doing, right? Like, however you reframe it, give yourself permission to just enjoy the process. Oh man, that's a perfect place to end. And I will be the five-year-old excited person cheering you on through for your hundredth FKT. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. And I hope everyone enjoyed, um, best of luck. Uh, I can't wait to hear how it goes and I hope selfishly that we can do this again after, after the attempt and, you know, for many more to come. (laughs) Absolutely. And I'll totally be submitting the uh, live tracking link. So people and you can follow this, uh, on the FKT website. Um, I'll hopefully be able to have some kind of itinerary of the peaks. I don't, I don't know who updates that now. Um, I'm going to message Peter and make sure that it's going to get like updated with the tracking so people know where I am and what peaks I've done. Um, yeah, yeah, we have a whole team. Yeah. Over here. So we'll link all of that info to the show notes and, um, yeah, I'm excited to follow along. Fingers crossed. Hope it all goes well. (laughs) Hope, hope a fire doesn't light up or something like that. Cause that's the, that's the crazy part about this one is like so many things could go wrong. And if just one of the, one of the wrong ones goes wrong, like the whole thing comes undone. Um, so it's just wild. It's wild to sit here and be like, I'm going to do one of the most brutal things I've ever done that at the drop of a hat could just get, you know, a message from the forest service. Yeah, this is closed. You're done. (laughs) Um, I know that's the difficult part of these super long FKTs. So here's hoping every fingers and everything crossed for you (laughs) you so much. This has been an awesome talk. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jason.